What's up, everybody? Welcome to a new episode of A Yank and a Swede, a Premier League podcast. My name is Sebastian Oren. I'm the Swede with me, Elliot Niblock, the Yank. And uh, we're back after the international break. Oh, when the Yanks go marching in. Yes. They sort of march. They mar- They trotted and then, you know, begrudgingly marched for one half out of four. <laughs> yeah, they traversed. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about the U.S. men's national team as we are both in the U.S. And then touch quickly upon this weird new thing that is the UEFA Nations League. Upon? Across the pond? I mean Sweden. Oh, my God. We'll get to that. And then... We're going to take a quick look ahead at what's coming up in the Premier League this weekend as we got one really standout fixture, but we'll get to that later on in the show. So first out then, the U.S. men's national team, they played two friendlies over the break here. First, they suffered a 2-0 defeat to Brazil. That was on Friday, the 7th, and then on 9-11, they played Mexico and took a 1-0 win. So one loss, one win, not too shabby for a team that is really in sort of a weird phase right now with, you know, no set national team coach and everything that comes along with that. So you see a lot of new faces. Okay, I think that that's, you know, yes, you you just we, we walked in the room and immediately said, hey, look, there's an elephant in the corner. So now we've got to address the elephant, um, <laughs> which is. The U.S. still doesn't have a coach. Like, it's it's absolutely unbelievable, I think. And it's only believable because U.S. soccer is, uh, I don't know, just kind of obviously profligate in their lack of leadership. And what leadership they do have is invested seemingly exclusively in maintaining their own grip on power and therefore also the status quo. But it's it is absurd to me. That, you know, the United States failed to qualify for the World Cup almost a year ago. Almost a year ago. And that was, you know, that wasn't so much a red flag as it was buying up all of the even vaguely burgundy cloth in a 50-mile radius and stitching it together. Like, we, we knew that something was very rotten in the state of, well, not Denmark, but I don't know. There's probably a county named Denmark somewhere in the U.S. Regardless, problems were obvious. Something really had to be done. And I think that it was fair to hire an interim coach to say, we're really going to wait to find the right person for this job. But it gets to a point where, you know, the waiting game becomes increasingly obvious is, you're the last one asked to the dance. You're not the one doing the discerning here. I mean, do you, is there any any possible reason, Seb, that you can imagine why the U.S. hasn't hired a coach yet besides just nobody wants the job? I mean, it is a little bit concerning that there's not a new head coach in place. I mean, you know, we should – Dave Sarah can. I mean, he he's doing what he can as an interim manager or coach. It's it That's like the worst job, really. Yeah, and and we'll again we'll get to we'll get to the merits and demerits yeah. of these couple of fixtures in a moment, but, but just I, like beyond him himself, just yeah. the position as a whole. Yes, but I think that my thought was that okay, well they're going to wait out the World Cup. They're going to see if there's because usually there's a lot of changes after a big tournament. You get managers leaving. You get managers get fired. I thought they were going to sort of see, like, okay, who falls out here? Is there anyone that we think would be a good fit? But it might just be, like you said, maybe they try to go after some of these names that became available after the World Cup, and nobody wants the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... and But it's ha- hard have, they, have they said anything about, oh, we must have an American coach, or has it been, like, we want the best man for the job? I mean, they, first of all, I don't think that they would be able to survive. They said that they insisted on having an American coach after the, you know, out-and-out failure of Bruce Arena, um, who hilariously is publishing a book about that failure, which is just 
uh, uh, just beyond me. Like I, I don't want to. I don't want to read about how you guys imploded, man. No, don't don't buy that book. Um, I I the thing that concerns me the most, and we'll get let's we we should push ahead to the games themselves here in a moment. But the thing that concerns me the most is that I'm not even I'm not even convinced that it's an issue of us you know, sending carrier pigeons in all directions and then hearing nothing from a flooded world of managers, I think that more likely is just that nobody really, nobody wants to get their head chopped off for, you know, the the next move. And so we're being very tepid about it because I can't, and, and all right, to be fair, you know, we haven't started the next cycle of qualifying yet. The really meaningful games are not yet upon us. So there is there is still time. But do you not want that time to be the manager who will be in charge for this meaningful World Cup qualifying cycle? To like start to kind of feel out the squad? I think you do. And I think the only reason that you don't have a manager in place is either A you can't find one B you're a little too nervous about really being gung ho on. This is our guy because you're worried about it coming back to bite you or C some combination of the two. And I think it's probably mostly B and a little C. Yeah. And I mean, there are some fairly large names out still without a job. Although a lot of them I see being more of club managers like Lauren Blanc, there's still the vet. There's still the chance for Wenger. Wenger, Conte, Sidon. I mean, those are big, big names. Yeah. But at and the same know, time, like I said, I think there are more, more club managers, if anything. Yeah. But how about this? How about Slavon Bilic? There we go. Uh, He's been a national I, team manager before. Yeah, but I, I, I also think that I honestly, I'll go out on a limb here. I think that it's more likely that Wenger takes the job than Slavon Bilic. And I think that in part because Slavon Bilic is nowhere close to retirement, whereas Wenger is enjoying his retirement for the first time in over two decades. You know, and he's gone on the record saying that he's having a lot of fun and he thought that it would be really hard for him and actually he's like, no, this is, this is great. I'm reading lots of books on, you know, sitting on the beach. It's lovely. Like, oh yeah, turns out that if you're a retired multimillionaire, life can be pretty good, man. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> so, but, but that said, I think that, I think that having that retirement, not having that quick timetable for return, you know, those are things that would play in the, you know, U.S. Soccer Federation's favor in terms of suing for Wenger. But I still, he he'll have... He'll certainly have more illustrious options on the table if the U.S. Soccer Federation is even going after him. How about Claudio Ranieri? Uh, I don't buy it. <laughs> I, I'll put. I'll. We'll, we'll build up a little hierarchy here. I'll say Billich is more likely than Claudio Ranieri. Tony um, Adams. I'm just no. throwing out names that are available. I, I know. I I I think that I think that Wenger is the most likely of all those candidates, and I still don't think he's a particularly likely candidate. But we're all just kind of, you know, we're it's a guessing game at this point because if you would asked me on January first if we still wouldn't have a U.S. men's national team manager by September first, I would say absolutely not. But the, I mean, the it. I think it also. The last thing I'll say on this before we get to the fixtures themselves is that it bespeaks issues with U.S. soccer that run far, far deeper than just you know. Certainly, just the players. Certainly, even just the manager, and that is that should be the most troubling of all. Yeah. No, that's very true. Uh, last name I'm going to throw out is uh, former Brazilian manager Vanderlei Luxemburgo because he has a cool name. There we go. All right, all right, we'll see. Yeah. Okay. So the two games. Uh, first, that two nothing defeat to Brazil. 
uh, easily could have been more than just two. Yeah, but it's, but to quote a famous Ian Dark phase phrase when he was rebuking Taylor Twelman, yeah, but it wasn't. <laughs> uh, so I'll I'll take a two nil loss to Brazil, man. I mean, it would have been nice to get a goal. Um, it would have been nice if between the two games we scored a single goal at you know like full eleven on eleven. But this was a really strong Brazilian side, and I think it was always going to be a really strong Brazilian side, um, you know, coming out of uh, what has to be called another disappointing World Cup. But, you know, you look at the names on the team sheet, Coutinho, Neymar, Firmino. uh, I mean, this this is a really strong attacking side, and to only concede two goals is, is not terrible. Now, that said... I can't help but think back to a previous U.S. And I mentioned this in in the past, that previous U.S.-Brazil fixture following the World Cup, and this was, boy, I date myself here, eight years ago following the 2010 World Cup. And it had been a really disappointing exit for the U.S. going out to Ghana once again, um... And Landon Donovan put Donny Alves, like you know, younger in his prime, Donny Alves in his back pocket in that game. He ran, he beat him off the dribble. I think three or four times, you know, sprinted past him, and you know, just his teammates failed to find him with the right ball a number of times. So much so that in the friendly, in which obviously Brazil were huge favorites, because let's be real, they will be forever favorites against the U.S. men's national team. But he got so frustrated in that friendly that Dani Alves, you know, kind of saw the red mist, got a rash yellow card that could have maybe been a red, and was you know immediately given the hook because the manager saw that. He was a danger to you know, send them down to 10 men. And that game, I remember thinking, now this is encouraging. Like, this is exactly what I wanted to see. And even though there are some bright spots, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to have that same optimism at this point. Um, it, you know, it's, it's a team. It's a team that due to that lack of manager seems kind of at, you know, sixes and sevens. But, but that said, Overall, 2-0 result against one of the best teams in the world that is, you know, not just a kind of throwaway weak squad. Have to take that with both hands. And anytime the United States defeats its arch rival, El Tree, as they did, you know, on Wednesday, this, or excuse me, on Tuesday this week, you have to take that happily as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so one nothing win over Mexico. Tyler Adams with the lone goal in this one. Just a couple minutes after Angel Saldivar got sent off. Um, and, you know, looking at the lineup that the U.S. went for the second game against Mexico, I was very happy to see the fact that they were playing Carter Vickers and Miazga together. I agree 100%. And I think that they had overall a pretty good game. I mean, the they were dominated in the first half. Like Mexico had their fair of chances in the first half. Um, I think that overall, though, on the balance of play, and, and and this this bespeaks to the fact that you know we were we were chatting earlier before we started recording, and I said that uh, it's hard to get up for these games because of all of the question marks surrounding the U.S. men's national team, right? Because it's hard to read into these games because we don't know who's going to be picking the squad when the really meaningful matches come round. So, you know, you can you can infer things about the development of the players themselves, but it's hard to know when you don't know, you know who's calling the shots, what shots will be called ultimately, obviously. But that said, still, it, it's Mexico versus the U.S. Yeah. And it's hard not to, you know, you can't, you can't be a fan of either of these teams and not get up for a game like this a little bit. And it got chippy. And, you know, I, I don't know if you saw um, the, the Miazga moment <laughs> as he, he's standing up and, you know, giving the the hand signal of, mm-hmm. like, no, no, settle down, but also not just settle down. I'm 
a foot and a half taller than you. Yeah. Uh, and it got it got chippy, and the U.S. was the team that kept their heads. Um, Zaldivar, despite a phenomenal game overall, was the one who lost his. A f- totally fair straight red, in my opinion. Uh, he went in rashly, dangerously. Uh, you know, he fortunately did not injure um, Will Trap, but it, after that, it was as you would expect them to be. But as it not always is. With a man advantage, all the U.S. from that point. Tyler Adams scored a great goal. He's a player that I think is going to be really interesting to watch in terms of you know, maybe being the next MLS starlet to make the move to Europe. He's only 19. He's already established himself as one of the best midfielders in MLS. He has the versatility, as he showed, in getting that goal to you know get forward, create things in the box. But he's also a great defensive midfielder as well. So... Lots of lots of positives. Um, we should also say that, uh, unfortunately, Weston McKinney, another promising young U.S. player, went off injured. Uh, Tim Way, however, had a great game. Lehigh had a good game. I, I think that overall, despite it's it's weird. It's you know, I'm I'm pleased with the level of the surf that's happening. You know, it's it's nice. But I've got concerns that run deep down to the bottom of the ocean floor and into the Marianas Trench when it comes to U.S. soccer. Yeah. But well, I mean, they, like these signs are encouraging. Yes, I think, like you said, there's a handful, maybe a little bit more, a handful really good young players coming up here. They're getting a look, which is really good. But I do think that they need to be very careful and get the right manager in that can develop these players. And it's not going to, you know, just take. You know, it might take a while. They might not, you know, just breeze through the next, you know, whatever it might be. It might take some time. They might need a couple more games to get settled. And with a new manager coming in, you know, you could see a new system. But having players like Pulisic, who's already at a very high level, now you get Team Villa coming up, McKinney, like you said, Tyler Adams. Miazga and Carter Vickers hopefully can stay together and really start building something together because they're both fairly young. Miazga is 23, Vickers is 20. So just people need to realize this this is going to take a while, but if you do the things right here, if a player like Adams, you know, for his development, it's probably better for him to leave the MLS, but be careful where you go. You don't want to end up just rotting away somewhere on a bench or, you know, getting loaned out for seven straight years. So don't go to Chelsea. Um, So there's a lot that comes into play here, but yeah, getting the right manager, that's step one. Well, you know what they say about youth development? What did they say? There's only one Arsene Wenger. Ah. One Arsene Wenger. Yeah. I would, I would be over the moon if he signed for the U S and then also, under the moon on its dark side without any oxygen if there ended up being a similar like Wenger out scandal at the United States men's national team. But I I still even though I said I think he's the most likely candidate of everybody you named, I don't I don't see it. I, just, I, I don't see him. Just wait, I, they're gonna end up with like David Moyes. Oh god. Of course they are. Of course they are. It's David Moyes and Big Sam with the joint duties. Yep. Oh, oh god. Yep. Okay, so let's uh, try and get a grip of this UEFA Nations League. So sort of a different setup here in order to take away the, not my words, meaningless friendlies for the European nations. So instead of that, they split up the, let's see, it's League A, B, C, and D, and then each of those are divided into groups, but basically the good teams are in League A, the slightly worse teams are in Group B or League B, then the, the ones that are a little bit worse than that, they're in League C, and then the really sucky ones are in League D. Uh, really sucky is a technical term. It's, it really is. I mean, I can give you one of the groups here. Luxembourg, Belarus, Moldova, and San Marino. That's one group in League D. So sorry if you're from one of these countries, but you're... Your rank is just, you know, that you're going to play in League D. So this is going to culminate in like a mini tournament 
that's during the off year. So when we don't have a World Cup or a um, or, or a Euros, then the Nations League will have a little mini tournament with semifinals and finals, or and a third pl- spot playoff, of course. Um, which I'm I'm having a really hard time getting excited for this. Yeah, uh, it could be that. Sweden had a rough start to this. They lost their game against Turkey. They botched a two nothing lead. Lost three two. Um, yeah, but they they still didn't have the roughest, which I think speaks also to the the difficulty for teams to get up from for this competition. Maybe also World Cup hangover as well. But you know the difficulty to come back from a World Cup and immediately play in quote unquote competitive games. I think for me, the kind of lodestar in that is Spain versus Croatia. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Spain. Finalists getting spanked for their worst loss ever. Yeah, Spain took a 6 nothing win over Croatia. Um, yeah, I mean, these are there's too many groups to go through, so we're not going to do that. But, you know, just to give you an idea of it, in that group, you got Spain, England, and Croatia. So you got three teams in one group uh, for League A. Uh, and then there's a whole relegation and playoff system. And, yeah, I, I can understand that UEFA wants to sort of cash in a little bit more. Because, I mean, this is basically what come to, comes down to. It comes down to money. Don't let anyone say anything else. Yep. So to sort of make up this new competition... They're hoping that they can get more revenue in. And from that standpoint, I mean, it is nice to have a quote-unquote competitive game instead of just a regular friendly where, you know, oftentimes we see, what, eight, nine changes sometimes per team, which is not the most fun. It usually, you know, tempo and all that stuff is not like it usually is. Um, So from that aspect, a little bit better with this because you got the regular just three substitutes, you know, it's that's now okay with that. That also means that you're probably going to see less experimentation. It's going to be more difficult for some young players that are coming up in countries that have very good national teams to get a look. There, there will still be these meaningless friendlies. I'm doing air quotes, um, but a lot less of them. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm still of two minds about it, but I'm, I'm gonna let my jury remain out for a while. I need a bigger sample size, and I need to, you know, I need to give myself time to be convinced of, oh, is this kind of cool and makes me more interested when big teams are playing, or is this a boring cash grab that actually just means that more of the world's best end up injured for the truly meaningful club competitions? I mean, maybe, but it, it's also, I think it it's more beneficial for France to play Germany and the Netherlands than it is for them to play Uzbekistan and Andorra. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and so, again, that's why I say, like, I need a larger sample size to decide, is this more than just a cash grab? Because as you rightfully pointed out, it is no matter what else also that. Yeah. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to let myself be convinced. But so far, like I said, my jury's still out. And yeah. at this point, so disinterested as to be out to lunch. Yeah. And there's a couple of you know potential spots here up for grabs for the Euros, especially for the lesser teams that are in League D, League C. And that's kind of I mean that at least theoretically is neat. Now if it ends up meaning that. Like, there's basically everybody's hoping that they end up getting to play Andorra and have a goal fest, then, well, that maybe takes away from one of the marquee competitions. But also, I, I, I hate bringing it back to that, but it does always come back to that. I'm sure that these numbers have been crunched and it's been said, you know what, look, like, if a spot in the Euros is on the line, we're going to get a lot more TV revenue. And even if there's a bunch of throwaway matches because one team in one of the groups for the Euros is so weak that we know that it's going to be a goal fest, 
well, hey, some people will tune in just to see goals, and it's still not going to make people not care about the you know knockout rounds of that major tournament. Yeah, of course. And then you'll have the people from this country, you know, will probably travel and they will spend money and all that stuff mm-hmm. too. Because even if, I would just imagine if you're a small nation that, you know, it would be your first big tournament, I bet a lot of people would go and a lot of people well, would Well, I mean, even, you know, say nothing of first, second big tournament. Look how well Iceland traveled to Russia for the World Cup this summer. You yeah. know, and that, they traveled well for the Euros also, but it was, you know, like all, all credit to them. And I would be, I would not be surprised if the precedent that Iceland set in 2016 was in the minds of the UEFA officials as, you know, this thing kind of came to fruition. I mean, maybe that's, I mean, it was, it was in planning stages prior to that. Let's be clear about that. But I, you know, that it's a pretty, it's a pretty easy case in point to gesture towards and say, well, Hey, look at this (laughs) small nation travels. Well, yeah, I mean, it is, also, you know, let's just get into this real quick, too, with the new sort of thing for the Euros, too, where they're going to be played, you know, 12 different cities in 12 countries. Yeah. Which, which I think is super dumb. But that, well, might, that might also I, be that they crunched the numbers. And Okay, like, so I'm I'm of two minds about that. I don't think that it's super dumb. Um, because I am a fan of sports in the United States. And and that may seem like a false analogy, but this is what I mean. And that teams, professional teams, travel regularly throughout North America, and not only within the United States, but with a number of leagues competing in Canada as well, that that distance is is not significantly larger than a lot of the travel distances will be for this pan-European Euros. And so it doesn't... I, I think that in some sense, sharing the wealth makes a lot of sense, you know? And I think that in in a way that... In a way that the promises of bringing a World Cup to the mother desert in Qatar are lies to this ideal because that is again all about money yeah you know it's full like false promises about air-conditioned stadiums that are still being built by slave labor but regardless of that the ideal of we want to bring the world cup to a place that it's never been fifa wants to bring high-level competitions to you know to like a broader swath of the population than just playing finals in Paris and London every other year, right? I th- and I think that that ideal is more more f- fully fulfilled in the pan-European Euros than it is by playing a World Cup in the desert. And I, I think that that's also I, I have like maybe that's not a perfect analogy, but I I'm I'm fine with it. But I, I don't know. Also, hey, I'm the Yank. You're the Swede. Like I'm the yeah. outsider here. <laughs> yeah. No, I I can see uh, where you could go like two countries, like a duo thing. We've seen that done before. That I'm okay with that. If it's two neighboring countries, whatever. But having them so widely spread out here, you got, you know, I can just rattle off the stadium. So Wembley. Allianz Arena in Munich, they're going to play at the Olympico in Rome. Then they're going to play at the Olympic Stadium in Baku, Azerbaijan. Um, in Bucharest, Dublin, Copenhagen, Glasgow, Budapest, Bilbao, Amsterdam, St. Petersburg. I, th- I, have, I have no problem with that. I mean, Azerbaijan is obviously the farthest flung yeah, of any of them. one hell of an outlier. Well, but again, that's, you know, including Azerbaijan in the Euros is... A far less onerous task for players and fans alike than playing the World Cup in the desert. And I well, think I don't want to that, compare it to that because we all know that that's a sham and it's because yeah, of okay, the former yeah. FIFA. So that's that's regime. that's fair. Like maybe yeah. that's a little bit of a straw man argument. But regardless, I think that having having the Euros spread across. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't bother me. Let me let me. Speak from personal, you know, I am 
tickets haven't gone on sale and if they have i'm in trouble um i am planning to go to france for the women's world cup next summer but i'm not gonna go to every game i'm not gonna go to most of the games you know i'm gonna try to see the u.s women's national team in at least a group stage game hopefully a knockout game and you know if I'm lucky enough, I'll get tickets to the final and see whoever makes it to the final. Obviously, I'll be cheering for the Stars and Stripes to make it there again. But we'll see, you know. And I'll be traveling around France, and it's not going to be that. It's not that much more difficult to get from Lyon to Paris as it is to get from Paris to Munich or well, of course to Glasgow. No, no, no. I mean, from that standpoint, it's set up well. The travel system and everything, and you got flights and you got trains and boats at some places but i'm just worried that the feeling isn't really going to be there the same way it is when it's just one country or two countries i you know that's i okay that's fair i think that's a fair concern but and and kind of the like the spotlight on this country's culture is one aspect that is really nice about yeah. you know major international tournaments and so that like That's a good point that I hadn't hadn't thought of, and that's well taken. Um, but I also think that, you know, the countries that do host those games, they'll still be extremely enthusiastic about it, you know? Um, and I also think I that... So. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, come on. Yeah, can you imagine if, you know, if instead of, say, I don't know, Glasgow, one of the matches was in Stockholm? Like... The, The, the Swedes would all be up for it in Stockholm. Do you, don't you think so? Because it's the Euros. Yeah, if Sweden's in the tournament, if Sweden were playing at home at, in Stockholm, yes. But that's the even, thing, too. I don't even, you know, there's no guarantee here that these countries that are hosting are going to make it in. Yes, that's true. And th that I think maybe that's the strangest thing about it, is that that's going to make it harder for the casual fan or even the, you know, non-fan at all to get swept up in the atmosphere so that's a that's another point that's well taken yeah. um and the fact I, that as reigning champions you're not guaranteed a spot yeah that's true too um which is a little strange to me yes uh, but i i don't know It, it's another one that's similar to the nation's league obviously you know i've just been speaking about it for uh four or five minutes so i have I have stronger feelings about this than I do the way from Nations League in general, but we'll we'll see how it goes. And I'll be interested. I think that, and I'm going to go out on a limb, despite the small sample size that I've been harping on for this episode, I think that I'm more inclined to say at this point, if it goes even decently well, like, okay, Every other Euros should be a pan-European Euros. You know, because then you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, there was not a lot of stadiums who didn't make it. Belarus didn't make it. Uh, Bulgaria didn't make it. Israel didn't make it. Macedonia. Macedonia. Uh, Sweden and Wales. Well, and it, but it also, if you know, if they were to do, uh, and this is you know, me just acting as though I had any sway in FIFA, but I like to think that I have, you know, more moral fortitude than to be involved in that organization. But you know, maybe that's hubris. Um, oh, I would do I, a great job at FIFA. <laughs> I would do such a great job. Oh my god, <laughs> the best! I've yep. got the, the best, best FIFA. The best people. Uh, anyway, anyway, point being, if they were to go to such a like every other year format, then you know why not say like why not choose two at a time as FIFA did, albeit horribly corruptly for 2018 and 2022 with the World Cup. But you know in that in that same cycle, say if you are going to be a loan or even a joint host, right? Like if it's going to be say, I don't know, France and Belgium, yeah. right, that are going to host the condensed tournament, then neither of those two countries can host part of the pan-European tournament. And I think that that's totally fair. Yeah. 
I mean, well, you know? we'll see if this doesn't turn out. I, I, sh- I'm sure that they'll change it back in a couple of years. But it's gonna turn. It's gonna turn. You, I mean, you know the, how they just like, oh, that didn't work. Well, we'll do this instead. But can I, you, even like, even if if the quarterfinal, the quarterfinal of the Euros is gonna sell out, and people are gonna show up, and they're gonna buy beer, and FIFA is gonna make a boatload of money. It's it gonna happen well that's the the weird thing too that's why i'm sort of skeptical about uefa in some parts too because you got excuse me quarterfinal games will be in st petersburg rome munich and baku yeah yeah isn't but was i mean not not to get geopolitical but wasn't baku (laughs) just like a city they just like oh well this is going to be our uh, let's see here sorry i mean it's a city of over two million people yes but which what, am i thinking of a different city where they're just like okay this is going to be our capital now and just like out of nowhere just oh, race the whole freaking city I, I I will admit I know very little about Azerbaijan. Besides, apparently it's the land of fire because I have learned that from. I actually don't know which kit was sponsored by Azerbaijan, but there have been recent kit sponsors in the Premier League. Speaking of which, let's talk about the Premier League. Yeah, I just want to see here. Where, okay, whatever. Sorry. Come on, come on, Seb. That was a sorry. great segue. Don't sorry. leave me hanging. So, sorry, all Azerbaijans, Azerbaijanas, Azerbaijani. Azerbaijan. Okay, there we go. Yeah, let's move over to the Premier League. Uh, one big, 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 big fixture on the slate this weekend. That's the early game on Saturday. Tottenham Hotspur taking on Liverpool. Do they have an arena for this game yet? Hey. Uh, I th- I think that this one they've got Wembley for. Okay. I mean, okay. Wembley would be foolish to not open up for it unless the I don't know they've got like. Cardi B or Ariana Grande already set up to play there. But even then, obviously I'm biased. Actually, I like Cardi B. She's my girl. But I I would prefer to see Liverpool Tottenham. But, I mean, this is this is a huge game, right? You know, Spurs coming off a kind of shock defeat to Watford. Uh, Liverpool, of course, with four wins out of four. Uh, I don't think that either of these teams, even, oh, I'll say this, even if Tottenham had won against Watford, well, I guess I should, depending on the fashion in which they had won, right? Like if they managed to turn that game and even if cause Harry Kane flashed a header over the bar, let's say that he equalized and scored that header and otherwise the game had gone exactly the same, you know, neither of these teams have hit top gear yet, right? Like I, I have a couple of Mo Salah misses in my mind in terms of Liverpool, of course, the, you know, goalkeeper gaff, which has to be weighing heavily on the minds of Reds fans. Um, but these are two high-scoring teams. Also, t- two teams that I think will concede goals, you know, goalkeeper gaffs aside. I mean, this is... I don't, I don't always wake up for the early matches on Saturday. I will definitely be awake at 7.15 in the morning getting ready for the 7.30 a.m. Eastern kickoff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this is can't miss. That is a game you do not want to miss. And, I, I, you know, I think Graham Saunas said that this is the best Liverpool team since 1990. And he might very well be right in that assessment. It's, I mean... Let's be real. I was barely five years old in 1990. <laughs> so uh, I can't really speak to that, but it's definitely the best Liverpool team that I have ever seen. Yeah. yeah and then we got a couple of headlines, too. Yeah, as you might know, Hugo Lloris was uh, pulled over for drunk driving. He will still stay the captain for Spurs. And then... Mauricio Pochettino got some questions about Harry Kane, if, if he's fatigued. And he says, no, 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 he's fine. And it's only a matter of time before he's back on uh, to his goal-scoring best. I mean, Come on, guys. We're, the season just started. How can he be fatigued? World Cup. Ah, come on. Hey, England didn't crash out in the first knockout round. Give him a break. Kane has had some time off. He'll be fine. He's not fatigued. Yeah. Come on. He's just, 
you know, he started off hot and then he got cold. That's what happens. We were only four games in. Well, and he also scored goals in August. Yes. Lo and behold, that's that's got him. What's got him so fatigued? Maybe that's that. You know, he'll get that slump here in September instead. Who knows? But yeah, that's a big, big game at Wembley. Uh, we should say that they are playing at Wembley. But that whole arena debacle. Someone has to get fired, right? I mean, somebody from the construction company, I guess. But yeah, or they have to like pay a penalty or something. They probably don't want to make as much money. No. <laughs> See, Definitely. once again, once again, we're coming back full circle. All about the money. Yeah, well, global football, global capitalism. They love each other. Yeah, that's true. Uh, other games of note, do we really have anything that stands out? I mean, it's hard to say. We've got a lot of uh, – a lot is going to happen this weekend. I mean, I'm going to be interested to see uh, – or I guess I should say to hear what your little Swedish recap is of this match day because this is like, you know, the one big star in the sky in Tottenham-Liverpool – and then after that, kind of the top teams, it's like, eh, Chelsea host Cardiff, they should smoke them. Eh, City host newly promoted Fulham, they should smoke them. Eh, Arsenal visit St. James Park, all oh, good stadium, tough place to play, but they should win. Man U visit Watford. I guess actually Man U visiting Watford is probably the most interesting, besides Tottenham Liverpool. Oh, they can, Especially, lose. They, they can lose that game. Oh, that's... They can definitely lose Ooh, that game. Are you, are you, well, okay. When you say they can lose that game, do you mean they are capable of losing that game? Or do you mean that you're ready to start cheering for them to lose so Jose gets the axe? No, no, no. That's not going to happen. I've already said that. I know. That. I, know you, I know you've said that. I got to, yeah. I got to, got to push you. You're my friend. Got to, like, check your morals. I'm just saying that they're more than capable of losing that game. Uh, one other thing that I read on Sky Sports, uh, Danny Higabutton thinks that Mariam Fellaini doesn't get the credit he deserves at Man United. <laughs> and that is just laughable. <laughs> Headline is, is Fellaini key for United? No, he's not. He should be on the bench at best. Come yeah. on. I think I okay. I'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate here because when Arsenal were linked with Marwan Fellaini this summer, I had my heart in my throat because I do not want him at the Emirates. But he's, I think that he's just he's an. Oh, this is gonna get me in trouble with the Toffees, but I'm gonna say it anyway. He's a player for Goodison Park. Like he is, he is the kind of player that can be really useful in a t side that is trying to build towards a top five finish. He's never going to be highly respected in a side that has the history pedigree and, you know, not to beat the dead horse, but the cash reserves yeah. of a Manchester United. No, and that... I think that he's, and it also, he's also a little bit beholden to the ways in which Mourinho is using him. That's yeah. the other thing. Yes. Because when he comes on, as this emergency plan B, it's just, oh, put Fellini up top and then chuck it. And that yeah. makes my blood boil because that is, well, that is I think not that, how United should play. Well, you know, and I talked about this um, earlier in the season that sometimes it, it seems like it makes the players blood boil as well because, you know, he comes on and there's that tactical shift, but they don't. They don't implement it consistently. Like, sometimes they kind of lapse back into their, like, more passing game with fewer long balls. And it seems like that's, you know, the players are being instructed to do that, but they, they don't necessarily believe in in that. And maybe it's the, the sheer transparency of it, right? The, you know, anybody who has seen more than two games of United losing in the last 20 minutes in the last two years, like, oh, Okay, well, they're down. I bet Fellaini's going to come on. Hey, look, Fellaini's coming on. Yeah. And he has scored some important goals. You know? Yes, yes, he has. But at the same time, I don't like, like you said, the way he's being implemented. And yeah, it's, it's just so frustrating. And I've spoken about this before, but it's just so frustrating right now to be a Manchester United supporter. And yes, I know that we've been blessed for many, many years. 
but that makes this fall from grace even worse. Well, we'll uh, we'll see next week uh, how much further we've fallen since then. Yeah, that is very true. We should say that Spurs Liverpool that's on you know regular TV or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> Chelsea Cardiff that's on CNBC. Man City Fulham that's also on regular TV. Watford Man United as well. Uh, then you got Bournemouth, Leicester on NBC Sports Gold, along with Huddersfield, Crystal Palace, and Newcastle Arsenal. So you got to find a bar that has NBC Sports Gold, I guess. Dude, there's not a bar in Charlottesville, Virginia that has NBC Sports. Ah, uh, you never know. You never know. I think um, I'm I'm just gonna have to sign up for it if I'm gonna watch it, and I haven't I haven't decided whether or not I'm gonna bite that bullet. We'll or see. can't you do like a seven day trial or something first? See how you maybe. Like it? I mean, it's well. This is the most infuriating thing is that I don't think that they release the schedule that far out because they do it similar to, say, um, NCAA football in the U.S. and that mm. they they flex the games all the time depending on, you know, how it's going, right? Like, for and not for no reason. Again, God, we've been we've been like real hard riding the capitalism, you know, the oh, yeah. cream cash rules everything around me train but we're, i'm gonna stay on that train because it seems apt that like when lester won the title you, you, beginning of that season you were not going to be showing those lester matches down the stretch but down the stretch you better be showing those lester matches on nbc oh and absolutely yeah so uh but it's still frustrating because it's you know as as a fan and i'm sure that many of our listeners can relate to this right that as a fan it's like well okay i'm spending fifty dollars does that break down to $5 a game if they're going to show 10 matches? Yeah. Does that break down to $25 a game if it's only two matches all season? What if I happen to not be able to watch one? You know, it it's uh it's tricky to it, it's a tricky proposition and and it's also I have to say a step backward as as the fan experience goes. And I oh, don't absolutely have, I don't have a lot of love for Fox, <laughs> to, to say the least. Um, you know, I mean, and we were all over them yes. for their abysmal coverage of the 2018 World Cup. And I think for good reason. But that said, you know, I think back to five years ago when and maybe it might have even been six years ago when uh, when Fox had the rights to both the Premier League and the Champions League. And you could sign up for one service, you pay a flat fee, and no matter where you are, you can stream every Premier League game, you can stream every Champions League game. And you know what? I would I would pay a huge premium for that. Like, I would pay a couple hundred dollars or more a year for Shh, that. Don't say that. No, like... no, don't say that. Be quiet. <laughs> They're listening. No, but I mean, uh, that's the thing, too, that we, we, got, we got used to when NBC took over. We got used to being able to watch all the games. If they weren't on TV, TV, then you could at least stream them. Mm-hmm. But then they make this change and put some of the games behind this paywall. And you're like, yeah, but I'm already paying for the access to NBC Sports, which is usually in a you know different cable, premium package, yeah, yeah, cable package. And you get a bunch of other stuff that you don't really want. Um, so... Yes, I would like to see a dedicated soccer package, but I mean we we've seen that with ESPN Plus now too. A lot of yeah, the stuff. Yeah. Well, was, the thing is that yeah, a lot of the stuff ESPN that was free Plus. on ESPN three, you know, their online streaming services. A lot of stuff that was free there is now behind this ESPN Plus paywall. I mean, but the thing is that ESPN Plus is much cheaper. Yes, um, yep. and it also includes a lot more because unlike. And it, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into the comparison because nobody, no sane fan of football thinks that MLS is comparable to the Premier League in terms of the quality of play. But you get every single MLS game, period, for ESPN Plus, mm-hmm. and it's rough. You know, it's slightly more for a full year. It's like I think five bucks a month, right? So. 60 60 bucks a year but that gets you every single game whereas nbc sports gold is like eh, well we'll give you whatever we don't really want to show otherwise yeah and then they make and, sure that they have like two or three games with the big six that are behind this uh mm-hmm. paywall too so 
Yeah, uh, but for people that support some of the you know smaller clubs, like on Sunday you got Wolves Burnley that's on NBC Sports. Then right after that you got Everton against West Ham also in NBC Sports, and then on Monday Southampton Brighton also yeah. NBC SM. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm torn because if I lived in a bigger city, right, then I would hands down say you know go to hell NBC. I will happily save $50 worth of bar tab to watch Arsenal matches at the pub like with our other supporters who pay for this service because they know that they're going to, you know, get their money back and and you know not support you, but my that's not the current context in which I live and so it's uh it's unfortunate, but it's it is Whatever you want to say about the quality of coverage in terms of access to coverage, definitely a step backwards for fans of the beautiful game in America. Yep, that's true. And I mean, yes, we are also spoiled that we have the option of streaming whatever game we want if we pay for it. That is not the option for everybody. Well, but but it isn't every game that you want, though, because, you know, like... Though, well, this is we 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 should we should wrap up here in a second. Yes. But since we're on the topic, you know, Bleacher Report, Bleacher Report just started a new streaming service, and they have the rights to the Europa League. So there are a lot of Arsenal Europa League matches that I'll have to you know do that for. But at least, even though that is once again in the same vein of putting matches behind a paywall, which is bad for fans they at least have the good sense of having you charge per game. Mm. So it's $3 for one match. And I think that that's pretty reasonable, you know? And it, it's... I, I, I'm torn because, on the one hand, I want to say, well, no, just don't put anything behind a paywall. But on the other, it seems almost the opposite extreme of, like, turning everything into pay-per-view. But I would much rather pay $3 for... Four to six matches over the course of a year, knowing I'm only paying for the games that I really want to see, as opposed to just like throwing $50 at something that may only end up translating into three hours of actual content. No, that's true. And I mean, that's the thing with the, you know, with the, if you're still doing cable, that you're paying for all these channels that you'd never watch. Yeah. Like, Sport package that might include the fishing channel. You might, oh, yeah. you might hate fish. You might not even <laughs> eat fish. Who knows? Oh, nobody should hate fish. I mean, even if you don't want to eat them. But you got the fishing channel, just so yeah, you can get, I've... you know, some of the channels that you do want. And then, yeah. But at the same time, if you split everything up, you're going to be okay. I'm paying for Champions League here. I'm paying for. Um, World Cup qualifiers here, and then I'm paying for Premier League here. I mean, that can add up real quick, too. So I would rather watch dodgeball than fishing. There we go. Yep. Leo Joe. <laughs> yes. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap things up here. As always, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot, it's Keats was better. And then one Yank, one Swede. Number one Yank, number one Swede. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.